Hello and welcome to another episode of Des and Marco. And this is a special episode because we need to celebrate. So let's jump right into our beers and then I'll tell you what we're celebrating. I'll go first if you don't mind. Please. I have got a beer from an incredibly small brewery. I think this is from England. And I say that because the can itself has literally got zero information about the brewery. But I think it's called Paradise Brewery. And my research on the internet and the website of a distributor makes me think it comes from Cornwall, which is kind of like that sticky outy bit at the bottom of England. Okay. (laughs) It's a hazy pale ale. All right. How about you? I have a Hoppy Weizen from the Van Mol Brewery here in the Netherlands. And it's called Langharig Tau. I may have mispronounced it, but it literally translates to long-haired scum. Nice. And the reason we're celebrating today is because after, I think, 30 or 30 some years. Since 1990, the year of the World Cup. Since 1990, Italy won the Eurovision Song Contest. Celebrations! Celebration! Let's celebrate the only way we know how to, by (laughs) drinking. As Marco said, Italy has won the world's biggest song competition, viewed by an estimated 500 billion people. And that's not an exaggeration. (laughs) After a 31-year break, Italy has won again, much to our surprise. It's a rock song, which is not typical Eurovision fair. It's a rock song from Italy, which is even more unusual. And it was a rock song from Italy in Italian. So that's a triple unusual fact. And I personally really like the song. So I was actually very happy that it did really well. And I'm over the moon that they've actually won. Yeah, me too. The song is actually pretty good. I also I also like it. It's just not your average Italian song. And it's also not your average Eurovision song, which makes it really, really cool. But they didn't win without controversy. No. During the actual competition, you sent me the picture on Twitter. Yeah. And I think it started off as an internet joke because I had sent you a picture of the German act, which had this uh, massive hand on stage and the man turned. It looked like he was giving the audience the middle finger. And it was just funny. The internet does what the internet does and it spread like wildfire. And then there was this scene of the Italian singer apparently bending over very suspiciously over a table. Yeah, and his face was hidden by, say, the tray of drinks that everybody had in front of them. And so it may have looked like he was, let's say, enjoying a line of Coke. And that sparked a lot of anger, especially from our French neighbors. I say anger, but the anger all happened after they won the competition. And the French in particular started saying, Oh, but he should step down and give the trophy to the French. Assume that actually happened. But how stupid must you be to be doing coke on Eurovision, on live TV in front of literally millions of of spectators? But not only that, this was the first publicly attended event since the whole pandemic thing. The whole audience was being triple tested for everything. It just seems so unrealistic that he would have been able to do that so freely. Yeah, exactly. But nevertheless, they were interviewed after the whole event. They were asked about it. 
the singer mentioned that it was he was actually leaning down to pick up a broken glass because one of the one of the band members had broken a, a glass and there is a photo evidence for that but the funny thing about this conspiracy is the whole fact that including french ministers got involved and it got blown out of proportion completely blown out of proportion and it did come across as a bit of sore loser syndrome it really did it wasn't France's classiest moment. And the politician that you mentioned, that minister, he first of all said he owes it to the people to prove that full transparency, that he hasn't done anything. And the Italian singer voluntarily submitted himself to a drugs test, which has come back negative. That hasn't really made the headlines as much as the allegations. But this minister's Twitter account is now being bombarded with the negative test result. And his original tweet has been suspiciously deleted. <laughs> wow, weird, weird coincidence. Never mind. Which ones were your favorites? Apart from the Italian, which was, of course, the best one. <laughs> yes, Italy was my favorite. I quite like the Icelandic song because it's very offbeat. Yes. And nerdy. You know, the. Um, I'm not even going to bother trying to pronounce the guy's name. But he had another song that became like a meme. It became super popular last year that he was supposed to bring that song to last year's Eurovision to compete. And it got super popular on, on the internet. But because they didn't have the event, he wasn't able to bring the song. And I think because of the rules, which I don't know and I don't fact check anything, he wasn't allowed to take that same song this year. So he just made up another song. Which kind of sounds the same, but it was good nonetheless. I did listen to a few of the guy's songs, and all of them have the same kind of style. I quite like it. I think it makes for some really good background music. It was a good song in the competition. It just didn't have enough character, I think. But it was really good. And I particularly like the Lithuanian dance. I didn't quite like the song, but it had like a, a really surreal dance with a background, very 80s kind of grid digital oh was art. that the one with the yellow suit yeah yeah I, I like the song actually as well i personally thought the song never quite got going enough to be dancey or catchy but the dance that they did in the performance was just really cool yeah another one that i think is worth noting or at least for me was the ukrainian one i saw a tweet about it this tweet was basically mocking all the all the artists and they were they called the the ukrainian song they called it uh folkloristic Chernobyl sounds <laughs> mixed with a fork in a washing machine. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that describes it very well. I saw another YouTube comment on their official video and it's very ravey, lots of leather and kind of like steampunk. And yeah. someone described it as, this is exactly what I expect and post-apocalyptic Eastern Europe to be like. <laughs> yeah but let's move on we both watched uh, recently casa de papel or money heist of course we made a mistake by announcing that seasons five and six would come out that's not the case only season five is coming out and that's going to be the final one but they have announced the release date due to covid shooting and therefore the release was a bit postponed but they've announced that they're going to release 10 more episodes. So it's going to be season five, but they're going to divide it in part one, which is going to be released on September 3rd, and part two, which is going to be released December 3rd. So really looking forward to that. And Netflix promises 
War. Ooh, I've only just started watching it on your recommendation. Season one so far has completely captivated me. I've started season two and it's a hard act to follow. Yeah. It does seem to be a little bit crazier, but it's really good still. Yeah, absolutely. I think I can speak on behalf of both of us. We really recommend it. So if you're late to the party like us, just go ahead and watch it. It's really, really good. And finally, in the news, last week, Google had their I.O. conference, their yearly I.O. conference, where they typically announce the new version of Android, which they did. But I haven't done any research on it, so I'm not prepared to speak about it. They haven't announced any hardware in in particular, but they have announced this one thing that I found pretty interesting, especially since last week and in the previous weeks, we were talking about how Google is very good at some things and incredibly bad at others. For example, messaging, they can't seem to get it right. Every couple of years, they release a new messaging app. Same thing for music. There was Google Music. That didn't go well. There's YouTube Music. That doesn't seem to go as well. Another thing they're actually not very good at is wearables. So they've released a few years back what they used to call Android Wear. And then it became Wear OS, which is this operating system for wearables, more specifically smartwatches. It never really took off to the point that Samsung just went its own way and developed its own wearables, which I guess are pretty recognizable and pretty good. Yeah, they're really good. As in, they've reviewed pretty well. In terms of Wear OS, at the beginning, all the big watch brands, like I, I remember Montblanc, I remember Tag, they jumped on their wearable bandwagon. And the watches were all pretty much the same and they weren't that great. And it was all due to the fact that it feels like Google never quite believed in it. They didn't have the same, let's say, iterative approach that Apple did. Apple, if you look at their Apple Watch Series 1 compared to the current one, it's much better. And it's every generation has has improved upon the good stuff that the previous one had. Wear OS has stayed pretty much the same. Google never believed in Wear OS in the in the beginning. And also it feels like hardware manufacturers never quite followed and never quite pushed each other to make better watches. For example, the Snapdragon chipset that all of the Android Wear watches use hasn't been updated in a few years. It's not very energy efficient. It's pretty slow. And, you know, it doesn't make it a compelling product. So one of the things that they announced was that they have made a deal with Samsung to merge Wear OS with Tizen, which is the operating system of Samsung's uh, line of smartwatches, which is pretty interesting because it's kind of Google saying, we're not really able to do this on our own. We need help. Samsung is in a great position to make their watches, let's say, compatible with all the other smartphones. And also they're finally leveraging Fitbit technology, which is an acquisition they've made last year, I want to say, or maybe the year before. I think you're right. This on paper seems to be like a marriage made in heaven because Samsung is unwilling to dedicate more resources in developing their Tizen platform and their wearables. Despite being a huge company, it's still expensive. Fitbit, on the other hand, have seen their sales dwindling because they can't compete with the marketing might of Apple, but they do make very good products, which are cross-platform. So that was a smart acquisition by Google to buy the expertise in making a decent product. As an outsider, I've never owned an Android Wear or Wear OS watch. They've always come across as 
trying to fit a smartphone on your wrist. And that's not what a good wearable should be. Yeah. Apple's products have always been more focused and more user-friendly. I'll disagree a little bit with you there. User-friendly? Yes, absolutely. Focused? I don't know. The first like two or three generations of Apple Watches, you could tell that Apple itself didn't really know in which direction they were going. In the last, let's say, series four, five, and six, especially five and six, they've decided to turn it into a sports-focused device. Not sports, sorry, health. And that's the way they're going, and it's paying off for them. Yeah, but compare that to Google's one, which doesn't do half of the health activities that the Apple Watch can do. And the fact that the Google Watch's battery life doesn't seem to even last a full day on any of its models. Which you kind of need on a watch. Yeah, exactly. Samsung's can comfortably last at least two days. Most people say they can get around four days by being careful. Again, it seems on paper, if they get the strong points of every single company, it could work. But too many cooks also spoil the broth. So we'll see. Speaking of, it's completely unrelated. Have you seen the Too Many Cooks YouTube video? No. Oh my God. (laughs) We'll, We'll link it. It's hilarious. It's this Adult Swim video from like six years ago. So quite a while back a 10 minute video of um how would you say do you know the style of the average 90s sitcom intro yeah like think full house yeah 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 yeah. where there's like a music and you see all the characters show up imagine that but 10 minutes of it it starts off as a normal sitcom intro but then it keeps on introducing characters for 10 (laughs) minutes (laughs) And it's too many cooks, because if I remember correctly, the family, the surname of the family is Cooks. And during these 10 minutes, it presents like 200 characters. (laughs) And it just keeps going on and on and on. And it becomes absurd. It reminds me of um, Key and Peele when they do their football introduction episodes. Yeah. (laughs) When they talk about like the draft and you have like all the university and state football players being introduced and this goes on and the names become more and more ridiculous yeah exactly we'll we'll link those as well because they're they're hilarious but sorry i didn't wanna i didn't want to interrupt it came at a good moment i think we were finished with that google appears to be possibly shuttering another service and merging or collaborating with samsung and leveraging its recent fitbit acquisition in the hope of being able to compete in the wearables market. That's right. And this comes also at an interesting time because rumors of an upcoming Pixel Watch are surfacing. This time, it seems like Google will be making their own chip or designing their own chip. So let's see what happens in the next few months. Talking of Google, I wanted to bring to your attention two websites which I came across, which are both educational, but at the same time funny. Wow. The worst kind of entertainment. The worst kind of internet. (laughs) Yeah, we spoke about privacy and how Apple recently is blocking data sharing with third parties, or actually it's giving users the decision to block sharing of data with third parties. I think most of the internet now is kind of blighted, if that's a word, or the experience is The same for everyone now. You log into a new website and you basically have the cookie monster telling you to accept cookies, to accept their terms and conditions because they're all trying to grab all of your data. Yeah. I don't know about you, Marco, but I've definitely noticed that 
Lots of websites are employing shady tactics in trying to make you click on the share or I accept button. How so? The wording will be difficult or the option to deny is in the wrong color. Like you expect it to be red or something and it will be kind of like green Uh, or whatever. And there's the work of a journalist and technologist called Jonathan Plackett, who works for The Guardian, amongst other things. And he created a game, which is on a website, called Terms and Conditions. And as you can imagine, (laughs) the game is basically a series of questions which are designed to mimic the tactics that these companies are using to try to get you to click share your data. Oh, okay. And some of them are a little bit far-fetched, but they are meant to be an exaggeration of the tactics they are using. It's a project meant to gamify the frustrating experience of trying to opt out of tracking and add targeting across the web. The guy who created it said he conceived the game as a way to expose some of the dark patterns that websites regularly use when tricking us into giving up our personal data. Okay. Wow, that sounds frustrating as a game. It's It doesn't take long. It takes a few minutes to play. And the cool thing is, like, you know, you're clicking away and you're trying to figure out where to click and so on and so forth. And once you've done them all, which will take you anywhere between two minutes and 15 minutes, depending on how seriously you take it, it will give you a breakdown of how many times you gave up your data. Oh, It's just wow. like, a, like a summary, you know? It's a, a fun fact, like, oh, you were good with the difficult ones or quick questions caught you out or wordy statements confused you. And you just get a a quick snapshot into the psychological tricks that you fell for or you would be susceptible to. So it just makes you think a little bit more about the times that you're clicking reject or accept the terms and conditions and the cookies. What what did you say it was called? So the game is called Terms and Conditions. But if you write as a web address, termsandconditions.game, it should go directly to the website. It kind of reminds me of, do you remember that South Park episode? I think it was called the Human Centipad? Centipad? I've not seen that one. <laughs> oh, man, you're missing out. So it was from years and years ago. I think Steve Jobs was still alive. One of the kids, Kyle or Stan, I can't remember which one, he gets a new, let's say, a new iPhone or a new iPad. He accepts the terms and conditions without reading them. And that gives Steve Jobs the permission to do with him whatever he wants. <laughs> and then it's like a parody of... Do you, have you seen the movie The Human Centipede? Yes. Okay, it's disgusting. People shouldn't watch it. But the kid becomes part of a human centipede, which is a human sentipad, because it's meant to be an iPad built by Steve Jobs. And Kyle or Stan is part of it. You should watch it. It's horrible. As we're on the topic of website design, essentially, and these tricks, a game creator, I think, called, I'm probably going to mispronounce this, Bagar, like it's a name of a company, B-A-G-A-A-R, they created a short web game, so it's another website, called User In Your Face. The genius of this website is that it's meant to kind of amalgamate all the really bad user design choices and interactions into one website. Oh, I think I've played it. It's the most frustrating thing. It's incredibly frustrating and it's incredibly clever as well. So I don't want to give anything away. It's a short web game created 
as an example of what happens when every frustrating element of user interface design is jammed together. Buttons yeah. that should be clickable are not. Drop-down menus are sorted incorrectly. And there's even like a pop-up window that can shut down the entire site if you read instructions wrong. One thing which really stood out to me was, you know those capture pictures that you get, like click on the bicycle? Yeah. One of them was click on the bow, okay? B-O-W. And then it has pictures of bow ties. It has pictures (laughs) of bow and arrows, like bow. And then it has pictures of people bowing, because that's a bow. (laughs) So you're like, where do I click? (laughs) That's hilarious. I think it was one. I think because I've tried it now that now, now that you've mentioned it, I I I've tried it, and I think one of the drop downs menus you had to pick like a date, and the months were in alphabetical order. Yes. <laughs> oh, it's got other ones. Like for example, you have to pick your country, and the flags are all in black and white. <laughs> <laughs> but it gets you thinking about. Terrible UI. So again, if you have 10 minutes to spare and you want to laugh or simulate a frustrating experience, it's worth visiting. And I think it's one of these clever websites, which is definitely memorable, even though you'll probably only go visit it once. Yeah, definitely. Finally, I have something for our hype segment, which I don't think it'll be anybody's surprise since I've talked about it in almost every episode since we started doing this. But the Mass Effect Legendary Edition is finally out. So a remastered edition of the first three Mass Effect games, available, I think, on PC, PlayStation 4, and Xbox. I've seen already a few reviews. They're pretty positive. The things they needed to improve, especially with Mass Effect 1, they did as much as they could. Some things were impossible to change without, let's say, investing too much into it. And watching a bunch of YouTube videos about it, I'm getting really hyped about it, and I cannot wait to get back into that universe and start playing it again. But I'm waiting for the price to drop. We've been messaging about it, and I remember loving Mass Effect. We obviously spoke about it on the show. But when it came down to the actual details of the game, there's a lot I don't remember. And that's a good thing, because I would love to replay it again. And I don't know if it will trigger memories in my brain, or I don't know if I'm going to re-experience them as if I'm playing it for the first time. Yeah, I know what you mean. I'm looking forward to potentially playing it again and just enjoying it. And I think that the fact that they've done it up and updated it is good. And as you said, at the moment, it's quite expensive, but you're getting three very good games for what is today the price of one good game. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just waiting for the price to come down because eventually it will. If you think about it that way, would you rather spend, what is it, 60 euro dollar or whatever on one AAA game or three? Okay, I, I fully agree with you. I still think that price is very high and I'm not one here to belittle the work of all the developers. But for example, I've been recently playing No Man's Sky and this ties in with what we're talking about for several reasons. Now, the first one is to advertise the re-release or the remastered edition of Mass Effect, EA have got together with the producer and developers of No Man's Sky, a company called Hello Games, which is led by a programmer called Sean Murray. The infamous Sean Murray. The infamous Sean Murray. And we'll get on to that. Mass Effect have done a 
tie-in with No Man's Sky. No Man's Sky has got these community-driven missions called expeditions, and you basically travel the galaxy having to fulfill some certain criteria together with other people. And you don't have to do it together with other people. What I mean to say is it's a community of people doing it. So you work as an individual, but they community goals. Oh, okay. That's cool. It is pretty cool. They've created a relatively short one. I say relatively short because I'm embarrassed to say that I actually woke up early on Saturday once I found out what the prize was. And I spent like three, four hours trying to do it. And I eventually did. And you complete these missions traveling the galaxy in No Man's Sky, which is an exploration game where you literally can uh, travel the galaxy, not our galaxy, but a galaxy, which is procedurally generated and pretty much infinite. I say pretty much because it's huge. And if you complete the set of missions, you can unlock the Normandy from Mass Effect and have it as one of your ships. There's a few caveats because you can't actually fly to Normandy. You can just send it off to do missions for you, but you can oh, see okay. the ship. You can fly around the ship. You know, it's physically there. Can you go inside? You can't go inside and you can't land oh. on it, but you, it's really, really, really cool to see the Normandy in the game. Yeah. And it's such an iconic ship. It's a beautiful ship. Very iconic. And we were talking about Mass Effect costing now 60 euro dollars, whatever. I bought No Man's Sky for $10, euros, pounds, I can't remember, like very little. Yeah, it's often on sale. It's often on sale. It's a game which today will give you possibly hundreds of hours of stuff to do. It doesn't end, does it? It doesn't end, but you can kind of like completely fill out everything. So for the people that don't know No Man's Sky, it's this... How would you describe it, Des? So it's a space exploration game where you are a traveler and you have literally a galaxy in front of you. And every planet has different elements and materials which you can use to craft things or like improve your ship, improve your weapons, improve your life support. You are able to go to any planet you want and create a base or basically mine the planet for all it's worth there are space stations where you can trade materials and trade goods i think there's a hint of a plot in the sense that at the beginning it's mostly there to guide you i guess it functions as a tutorial which then you use to learn the game mechanics and understand basically what it is that you need to do but you know we talk about open world games this is an open universe game where you can go literally wherever you want and all the planets are procedurally generated and there's always going to be new stuff correct and the beautiful thing about it is that it's procedurally generated but the galaxy you are traveling in and the galaxy i am traveling in are identical it's just that it's so vast that they didn't actually make every single bit of it it's procedurally generated which means that the algorithm will take elements of what's feasible and make a possible planet. That means there's yeah. a huge amount of variety aesthetically. It looks gorgeous. And as time has gone on, it's looked even better. At a time where we can't travel anywhere, I have actually enjoyed playing it and being able to see all these vistas. It's beautiful to look at. However, it was quite infamous because all these lofty aspirations of having 
a entire universe to travel and visit and trade and build with multiple users. It was promising a lot. And many people felt that when it actually did come to market, having been hyped up a lot by Sony in particular, which had an ex- which bought the exclusive rights for the PlayStation initially before it came out to PC and elsewhere. When it came out, it was as wide as an ocean, but as deep as a puddle. It was quite underwhelming because <laughs> you couldn't do much. But yeah. Sean Murray, who unfortunately became the epicenter of a lot of hate from, I say, fans, he did a really cool thing where he basically told his team, Turn off your social media. Don't answer to anything. Don't even try to explain yourselves. Just keep working on the game. And then slowly but surely, update after update after update. This is a game from 2016. And it's received, I don't know, 10, 12, maybe even more significant updates, which have introduced so much, polished so much, and added more and more mechanics. As I was playing this mission to unlock the Normandy, it was actually really touching to see the community of players who were building bases, giving other players tips and instructions. And you can actually drop messages as pods. So when you reach a certain point, a message will pop up on your screen from a user. And it's only a short message. And there were all messages of gratitude towards Sean Murray. Like people are saying, I consider your work complete or thank you, Sean Murray, or this was the best experience of my life. It almost felt religious. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah, and you bring up a good point. In time, this became a good game. When it came out, it was plagued by the fact that the game wasn't finished and it didn't live up to the incredibly high expectations that maybe Sony, maybe Hello Games set for themselves. And the game didn't have all the features that they had announced. That's what caused it to have very negative reviews, even though the game maybe at launch was okay, but not great. Like you mentioned, the impressive thing is that Hello Games for the past five years have been constantly working on it and constantly expanding it. And every year has had major expansions, which made the game better and better and better. And today it's a good game. If you want to hear someone talk about it with much better knowledge than Marco and I have, and having done a lot more research and fact checking. Yeah, which is something we, we always skip on. I'll recommend a video from a YouTube channel called The Internet Historian, which is a very popular channel. And I think this video has been seen millions of times where he talks about No Man's Sky, the hype, the underwhelming release and the redemption arc. It's an hour long, so it's quite long, but it is yeah. very good. And it, I felt quite heartwarming. I still think it's not quite what was promised. I didn't play it from the very beginning. But I'm very happy with the game that I bought for $10, $15. I think incredibly good value for money. Yeah, especially if you consider it's potentially an infinite game. Yeah. So you could be playing it forever. I think we've ranted on long enough. No Man's Sky may be infinite, but we've definitely got an end to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. How was your beer? Mine's actually really good. Considering it's probably made in someone's basement, <laughs> it's... What you would expect from a pale ale, and the color, as the name suggests, is quite hazy. It's quite flavorful, and it's meant to have aromas of grapefruit and pine. And I would agree that it tastes fruity, despite the fact it's your typical pale ale. Mm -hmm. I would give this a safe three out of a six pack. A safe 
moving on. <laughs> so I was reading the description of my beer on their website, and it says, a badass beer with a heart of gold. This diamond in the rough with a hoppy visen edge is refreshing in summer and heartwarming in winter. This pal aims to please. Do I detect a hint of clove, a touch of banana, a splash of citrus? Call your friends, pack your bags, we're headed to the tropics, baby. The day is ours, here we come, you long-haired scum. I disagree with everything they just said. <laughs> As in, I like it a lot, so I'm going to give it a four. It's very fresh. There's a hint of fruitiness, which I really like. And I could see myself drinking this in the in the summer. If you like Weizen beers, this is a good option. I'm not sure the Dutch know the word scum is quite bad. Uh-huh. And they just use it so liberally. Yes, scum. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put and it on a bottle. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, I do recommend it. So I'm sticking to my safe four. And on that note, a quick recap of today's episode. A reminder that Italy has won the Eurovision Song Contest with the best song ever written in history. No exaggeration and no bias. We are hyped for Casa de Papel Season 5. Having recommended the show in previous episodes, definitely go watch it because it's really, really, really good. Google seems to be shuttering yet another service, maybe, who knows, but they've definitely partnered with Samsung and are leveraging their know-how from their Fitbit acquisition. And there are rumors of a collaboration and hopefully a better wearable product. Talking about terrible internet design, I gave two recommendations for websites, Terms and Conditions, The Game, and User Interface which are showcasing the internet tactics or poor user interface design, which is unfortunately plaguing the internet. Having been hyped about this for ages, the Mass Effect Legendary Edition has finally come out. It looks very promising and reviews are good. However, it is quite expensive. To help advertise this, they partnered with No Man's Sky, which was initially review bombed after a lackluster release, but has slowly but surely been improving the game and is now considerably very good and definitely worth your time and you can unlock the normandy until the 30th of march 2021 on that note thank you very much and go listen to maniskin and their fantastic song ziti e buoni thank you so much for listening talk to you next week see you next time guys